Well, how are we doing? I feel like a television evangelist with a microphone. Did you see my gold one? It's ordered. No? None of you follow me on social media? No. Oh, thank you. Very kind. What a beautiful day. It's good to be gathered here as a community of faith, family. We are on a series called Slow. And it's a great time of year to do that before the craziness hits us. If the craziness, if, if the craziness has not already hit you with getting kids back to school and all that, but I want to teach you how to slow down because we believe. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, Why don't you talk among yourselves? Because I can't do two things at one time. Start spreading. Okay. So we're in a series called Slow, 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 Slow. Last week we talked about the gift of Sabbath. I know that uh, that's going to be a big, big, big jump for a lot of us in our hurried, exhausted, anxious, restless culture. And uh, for us to take that step, it is just it's huge, so we need to keep doing that. So here we go again, one more time. Last time. One, two, one, two, yeah. Thanks, Mark. You knew that would have been a disaster, wouldn't you? That would have been a crazy disaster. So we're in a series called Slow. I'm just going back for people listening online. That was a joke. I'm not going to do that. So we, um, Sabbath is a gift for us, right? It's a gift for us. It's, uh, it's a practice to slow down. It's a father's gift of restless, restfulness, sorry. Restfulness, and it effectively, what it does, it, it counters the restless anxiety of our hearts and the culture that we live in. So I want you to open up your Bible, if you have got scriptures this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 11, grab a phone, uh, grab those paperback copies up here, if you want to grab one of them, uh, put your hands in the air, and we'll try and get you one up. So we'll just pass them back, if you see somebody with a hand there, um, fire them through a Bible, we'll actually maybe just pass them on by. I wouldn't want you getting hurt with a Bible. If you don't have one of these, please take it home with you. It's our gift to you. Uh, seriously, we want you to have a copy of Scripture in your hands. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the Scripture this morning. Jesus is uh, having a conversation with the Twelve, his disciples, his community, his, his close, close friends, and teaching them as a rabbi would in that time. And so there's many things happening. He, his, uh, his heart is sad because of culture and how things have shifted so much. And he wants to help them. And he does that in a fatherly way by saying, guys, you need to t- change the way that you think. He's talking about cities. And then he starts to pray. And then he leaves us with this comforting 
invitation, especially to us in the 21st century. And you would have heard this probably preached on, talked about. You maybe have it on a fridge magnet uh, at home or in your, on your desk at work or something like that there. It's a very well-known passage of ancient scripture. So let me just read it to you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and verse 29. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true and it's given to us in love. We love the ancient scriptures, but don't you just love that invitation? Don't you love that invitation? An invitation for the weary, for the burnt out, for the anxious, for those who are fatigued and those who just can't find rest in a busy, hurried world that we live in. It's a brilliant invitation. I love the way Eugene Pearson phrases it in the message. Does anybody read the message paraphrase? It's a really good book for devotion and for spending time with Jesus. Let me read Eugene Peterson's brilliant, brilliant paraphrase on Matthew 11, 28, 29. And I hope that you can uh, engage with it and see yourself somewhere in the text. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? We had planned that so well today, didn't we, Sam? That song and my talk, just absolutely brilliant. And so we didn't plan anything. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Anybody want to recover their life? It is September and you want to recover your life already? I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is an invitation to a non-hurried life. Beautiful, beautiful invitation. An invite to slow down, to start the day focused on Jesus And to be with Jesus so that you can engage fully in whatever that day brings for you. How many of you wake up in the morning already restless after a night's sleep and anxious because of the day ahead of you? Yeah? We we, we sometimes, sometimes a few of us find ourselves there. And this is an invitation to engage fully with Jesus so that you can fully engage with the day regardless of the circumstances and whatever life throws at us. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant invitation to focus on Jesus, to have capacity, not just for yourself, but for friends and family. See, when you have capacity being with Jesus, it gives you space to be with people, to engage with people, to be present, not just yourself and you and Jesus, but also for those that are around you, your work colleagues, your family, your friends, uh, maybe a sick relative. We need capacity in our lives. And this is one of the ways that we do it. We take a walk, a slow walk with Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful invitation. But here's the but. How many of you would admit today that you know Jesus, that you go to church, that you're even thinking and considering being part of a community? You read the scriptures, you've said the prayer, you fall in love with Jesus, and Jesus has, has changed your life. But, 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 as you read this text of scripture, you find it's not your reality. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Can I see a hand? 
You know, we, we, we feel like when we read Scripture, that should be our experience. And then we feel, we feel, actually, that's not my experience. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've said yes to Jesus. I've been following Jesus, actually, for years and years. But I feel fatigued. I feel anxious. I feel overwhelmed. I should be at peace and more relaxed. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And this is what it says that happens to our lives. And we think that somehow by reading the Scriptures, by samosas, that it enters into our life. And the reality of that, reading the Scripture, and even quoting that Scripture, all of a sudden, our lives are at peace, and we find the rhythm of grace that Jesus offers us. How many of you found that to, to be not your reality? Not your reality. Me. Many times I don't find that to be my re- reality. I, I'm anxious. I'm overwhelmed. And I know I should be at peace. And here's the thing that so many of us forget, and, and we just keep reminding ourselves time and time again, and we're going to do that through now to probably eternity. And this is it. This is simple, but it's as deep as it gets. Christianity is a way of life. It's a way of life. It's not about following principles or just having good ethics. Those things are important to us, that we do follow principles, that we do have good ethics, and it changes our character. But Christianity is not following the moral rule. Christianity is not following principles that are set out for us in some great teachings, but it's actually a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle is where it's at. For you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're, if you're thinking and trusting Jesus, you'll please, please, please don't think that following Jesus is you signing up to some more to-do list and some more set of principles and, and, and stuff so that we give you more things to do so that somehow we change your moral lifestyle and your ethics change and your behavior change. We can't do that for you. Only being with Jesus and a lifestyle with Jesus can change you from the inside out. So this image of the yoke that Jesus is talking about, it makes sense when we understand what it's all about. There's a great theologian and writer. His name is Frederick Dale Bruner. He's an American theologian and an author. He writes this. He explains it beautifully. And let me, I think we have it on a slide. Do we have it on a slide yet? It says a yoke, or he says, sorry, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. I love this. They need a mattress or a vacation or a holiday, not a yoke, right? But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life. Beautiful. A fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, which many of us want, me included, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that the obedience to the Sermon on the Mount, that was the backup of where we just read, his yoke, will develop us in a balance and a way of carrying life that will give you more rest than the way we have been living. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that absolutely brilliant? Say, I would rather have the memory foam mattress gift. There is an emotional weight to life, isn't there? That we can't get away with, away from. And you're probably, if there's any students back from Freshers Week, you're like, what is he talking about? Weight to life. Or, you know, you're, you're still living at home or, or whatever. But let me give you the good news. The good news is the weight of life will come to you. It will be heavy. There is a way to, to live, and there is a, there's a, a, a way that just life 
has some weight to it. We, we go through pain and we go through power. We go through times of, of sunshine and we go through painful paths in life. And that's just the way that life is, is meant to be. But we're not called here to escape that. We're called to live in a restful way through all of that. Even the burdens that Jesus talks about. So there is an emotional weight to life. I want you to get that. See, some of us feel that if we're followers of Jesus, if we give our yes to Jesus, that there is no emotional weight, that we just live freely. And case sarah, sarah, we wake up in the morning, you know, with like a sort of Disneyland theme tune going on in the back of our heads. We look in the mirror and we say, hey, I just can't wait to tomorrow because every day you just get better looking, right? <laughs> or is that just me? The most thriving, healthy, healthy Christians, followers of Jesus that I know, those who are mature, those who I would take advice from, those who I look to, those who I want to model, as Paul talks about modeling other believers, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a model right there. It's a model disciple. The people that I follow so much uh, uh, and pay more attention to are simply what I call, and you're going to hate this now because I go on about it all the time, are just simply not your stage Christians, not the skinny black jeans, black t-shirt, black hat Christians. But those who are left foot, right foot Christians, do you know what I'm talking about? It's just everyday rhythm, left foot, right foot, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus does. That's the rhythm of the gospel. That's the rhythm of Jesus. Of course, all the other stuff sounds so good. It sells, doesn't it? Who doesn't want the magic bullet Christianity? I do. You go to the conference, you get the tape, you do the principles in case sera, sera. Hey, I've got a brand new life. That is not the reality of being a follower of Jesus Christ here on planet Earth. That is not the reality. Those who are mature in their faith are people who, who left foot, right foot. They have a lifestyle with Jesus. They want to be with Jesus and become like him. Right? And so if anybody's giving you advice on how to follow Jesus and they've got all these principles, just my advice is and stalk them. Stalk them in a healthy way. And let them know that you're stalking them. Take them out for coffee. Watch how they live their lives. Are they being with Jesus? Are they learning to be with him? And are they learning to be like him? We want the silver bullet, so that silver bullet theology that oh, just it gets me out of walking the path of pain. How many would love that? Me. You know, no matter what it costs, that silver bullet theology of what do I need to do to take me off the path of pain? So I never have to face that. So I don't want to do burdens. Or when life is heavy, you just want to quote the first, don't you? And you say it out loud. I used to go to church where we just, if you said it loud enough, and you said it fast enough, it would happen to you. You know? Have you ever tried that? You quote the word of the Lord. And there is power in quoting scripture, by the way. But some, if this is not about quoting scripture. It's not about saying something over and over again, uh, loud and then shouting at the devil. This is about having a walk with Jesus. Man, this is deep, isn't it? You're probably thinking, give me something else, Jason. Just give me the silver bullet theology. I don't like this stuff. The image in Matthew is Jesus shouldering the load. Imagine walking with Jesus and him shouldering the load. You're walking with him, you're going along the road, and he's carrying the heavy stuff. He's carrying the heavy stuff. You see, his burden that he puts on you, it's not a, it's not a religious drudgery of weight. It is light, and it's easy, and it's unforced, and you find the rhythm of grace in your life. What an invitation. He's carrying the load. Jesus is offering, here's my, here's my 
takeaway this morning to you. Jesus is offering us simply an invitation to walk with him as a church and as individuals. Not all of us will do that. I, I understand that because we all have free choice, right? But I think there's an offer to us as a church living in the 21st century to walk with him, to live an easier way than society puts on us. Because we are sold day in, day out in a consumerism-driven world. We're anxious. We're anxious. We need to eliminate hurry. We have more. We want more. We, we use more. We eat more. We drink more. And the culmination is restlessness and anxiety. We are riddled with anxiety in this hurried, hurried, restless world. Dallas Willard, you've probably been reading him more than I ever read him over the last six months. Dallas Willard, a brilliant, brilliant thinker, brilliant writer, he talks about the secret of the easy yoke. He says this, and the truth lies in the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as he lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently, and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone around us does. We just live in our lives. We think we can do all the stuff that Jesus talks about in the ancient scriptures, why we just live our lives the same as culture demands of us and puts on us. That's not going to happen. It's a strategy bound to fail and to make the way of Christ difficult and left untried. See, many of us don't even try the works and the words of Jesus because we're already tired. We know that we can't sustain. There's no sustainability in it because we think that we can do all the stuff in this book and keep a separate lifestyle from the way that Jesus lived his life. Again, it's been very helpful to me. And as, as a church, this church has been very, very generous in helping us with our communities and transitioning to communities. And my dream is that everybody who calls this place home would find the time and intentionally engage with community around a table, around scripture, and around prayer. And this guy called Mark Comer. He's a church in Portland, Oregon. He said this. If you, this is brilliant. It's so simple, but yet so brilliant. He said it this way. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. All right? Let me say it again one more time, because it's just absolutely brilliant. And if you want to tweet it and you forget Mark Comer said it, then just stick my name beside the tweet. Um, I don't mind. I really don't mind. If you want to experience a life of Jesus, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You've got to adopt the lifestyle. Here's the deal. Here's the deal if you don't. If you keep in step in the rhythm, if you don't, if you keep in step and in the rhythm of Jesus through the life of the Spirit, through being with Him, being like Him, and doing the stuff, you'll find that your pace is better, that you can slow down. But if you don't keep in step, if you, if you actually think this through into the imagery of what oxen would have had, this thing over their shoulders, walking together. Can you imagine walking out of step? Pretend you're a cow. Can you, yeah, okay, okay, don't go too far. Can you imagine walking out of step? What happens? It's rough. It's heavier. It's out of sync. It just feels so awkward. Now, how many of us when we don't walk in step with Jesus, life just feels awkward. 
feels strange. It feels like we're out of step. We don't even need people to tell us. We don't even need a word from a prophet. We don't even need to open scripture so that the magic words jump out of scripture. We know life feels awkward. We are internally built. We know our bodies will tell us, our soul will tell us, our mind will tell us that you're just having an awkward walk, Jason. Any wonder you feel it hard, any wonder you feel that you're out of sync, that you're out of rhythm, it's nothing to do with the pace of life, it's everything to do with the lifestyle of Jesus and keeping in step with the Spirit of God. It's tiresome. It's tiresome trying to keep and pull and push. Like we're so good at of, of trying to find the resources in other places. And all, and all along there's this kind invitation from Jesus Christ of Nazareth to say, come and follow me. I want to give you a better way to live. And we're crazy people. See, choice is the most powerful thing in the universe. It's not the black hole in some galaxy. The most powerful thing in the universe is the power to choose. It's the power to choose. Human choice. I would recommend a great theology. You can get it on YouTube probably now if you like theology and, um, and DVD. Or you can download it. It's called Bristol Almighty. It's absolutely brilliant when it comes to the power of free choice. So we have this free choice. And so what, what God wants us to do, what Jesus wants to do, he wants us to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. We need to learn to slow down. Jesus was never in a hurry. I, I wonder if we had a conversation with Jesus, would we think like, we just think like, hey, so tell us how long, uh, how long are you going to keep this mission thing going? Oh, three years. Okay, so what's the plan? I'm going to travel extensively. How's that going to work? Because the mode of transportation is going to be slow, like, and you've got three years to, to knock us out of the park. How are you going to travel? He says, I'm traveling a 15-mile radius. You're what? It's like, Jesus, like you're living in Kiliman. And you want to just do life around that area? Sure, you want to just expand a little bit? No, no, 15 miles radius. Three years to do it. And can you imagine that just... Like if your child is dying and you see Jesus on the road and he's walking and all of a sudden he stops to pray with somebody else. How'd you feel? Anxious? Uh, angry? With Jesus? I know none of you kind. Good looking people out there are never angry with Jesus. Right? You never get angry with God. Can you imagine the emotion and the anxiety in your, the pit of your stomach? Your child is dying. You know that Jesus has a cure. He stops and has a conversation with somebody else. Because some woman touches him in a crowd and you're thinking, take, <laughs> move on. Things to do. Children to heal. Raised from the dead. He had a life that could be interrupted. And I bet those who have found him are glad that he stopped when you asked him to stop. I like this. I'm pretending that everything I'm saying, they're agreeing with. And that just points me off. John Ortberg, he's another brilliant leader, writer. Just great practical books. If you ever read any stuff, you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Yeah. Closer. All those sorts of stuff. He ended up in Chicago years ago at a church called Willow Creek. It was a fast-moving, uh, high, high, it was probably the most influential church in the Western culture at that time when Ortberg showed up. 
And he just found the pace of doing church in a, what they call a mega church, what we call a mega church, thousands and thousands of people, probably up to 25,000 people attending weekend celebrations, services, right? That's a lot of people. So Ortberg, he was just burnt out. He was, he was, he was just dying to, to get some spiritual face. How can he get out of this? It's just the pace is fanatic. You know, there's things happening every week. There's, you know, children's stuff, youth stuff. You know, believers, non-believers, welcome groups, just stuff happening all the time. So he rings this guy called Dallas Willard, we just read about, called The Secret, to the, the yoke that I just quoted. He, he phones this guy as a spiritual mentor to ask for some spiritual direction. He describes the pace of his ministry, and best that he can, he describes the condition of his heart. Very honest. Very honest. Life flows out of the heart. And he asks him, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? Long pause. Awkward. Well, it replied, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. After the long pause, at the last, like this is his advice. This is going to save Ortberg. He says this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Another long pause. Ortberg says, okay, I've written that one down. A little impatiently. That's a good one. Now what else is there? There has to be more to it. There's so many things to do. This is a long-distance phone call. Okay, so those days you're probably putting coins in or whatever. I don't know what you're doing. I'd imagine he has his own phone to office, but probably cost a fortune. So he's anxious to cram as many units of spiritual wisdom into his life as he possibly can, because that's what we like to do as Western consumer Christians, don't we? Let's consume as much Christian knowledge as we can. We will have information. Formation? No, no, no. We, got, we ain't got time for formation, but give us loads of information. Give us that magic bullet and we're, we're out of here. Another long pause. There is nothing else, he said. He repeats, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. If I was to ask you this morning, and I'm being serious, if I was to ask you um, just show of hands, or just even to shout out, before I read this, before we talked about any of the slowing down Sabbath or, or life around the table, if I was to ask you the question, what do you think the, the number one enemy of your spiritual life is? What would you say? I would guarantee you, let's be honest, okay? Let's just be real for a minute. Imagine Christians being real and honest. It's mad, isn't it? So imagine we just were really honest, and I said, what do you think the number one thing is, is, is the enemy of Christian spirituality here in the West? I would guarantee you, how many of you would say the culture that we live in? No? Okay. That didn't work. I would say that. That would be one of my problems. Uh, not reading. What, what, what would we say? What else would we say? Hey? Time. Business. So you would have said it, right? You just proved me wrong. <laughs> you would have got the question right. I don't know if I would have answered hurry. So I think I'm deep and I'm a thinker. I'm reading thicker books now with bigger print. <laughs> so don't let that fill you. I should Instagram a little more, shouldn't I? Here's what I'm reading for the next series. And borrow people's books to do that too. Hurry. Ten signs of a hurry, of hurry sickness. Ruth Haley Barton. Uh, she wrote a brilliant book. If you're in leadership at all, can I encourage you to read a book called Strengthening Your Soul and Leadership? Strengthening Your Soul and Leadership. Her name is Ruth Haley Barton. She says this, there's 10 signs of hurry sickness, okay? So just shout out, me, if this is you, okay? No, you won't do it, will you? 10 signs. Irritability. 
Hypersensitivity. Hmm. She's answered two out of two. <laughs> the goal here is not get 10 out of 10. <laughs> Michelle, the goal is to get less points, okay? It's not points to make prizes. We're not in the Bruce Forsyth show. This, this is the whole different game. Resent, re restlessness, sorry. Restlessness, when, we actually, when you actually too, do try and rest and calm down, you're actually restless. Do you ever find that? Like, I find myself in, um, and by the way, like, like, I do have more to my life than eating and drinking, but I did find myself in the dolphin uh, takeaway a couple of weeks ago. I don't know, it was just like it was in a spiritual trance, and the Lord just dropped me off there. <laughs> it, it's, it's amazing how people, if I lived in America, people would actually believe that, wouldn't they? Why oh, he's so spiritual. And I'm in the chippy, and they're taking a long time to order, and I put my hands in my pocket, coat pocket, and I'm a desperate man with keys in pockets. So like, when I buy new coats now, I don't open the pockets if they're sewn up. For this reason, I couldn't find my phone. Can you imagine? Like, jeez. So I'm looking up at the pictures, and I've looked at this wee advertisement for the campus, Southwest campus, you know, kids that have gone on and done catering and all that there. I've watched that three times, and I'm thinking, what will I do? Well, the drive home, get my phone, come back in. And <laughs> we live restless lives. Compulsive overworking. What about this emotional numbness? You just don't care. If your heart goes cold, check your soul. You know, when, when you start to get irritable, and you just, you're just numb, you're fatigued, and your soul's numb and fatigued, and you just don't feel any warmth at all. You know, hey, look, the Holy Spirit's going to show up big time today. How do I count that twice? There's seven tissue packets here. <laughs> We're going to get the emotional engagement going. That's just a wee joke, by the way. There's a numbness, an emotional numbness, where you just can't feel escapist behaviors. Anybody do that? Oh, no, 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 don't do that. You binge on Netflix? Anybody binge on Netflix? Yeah, you know that wee wheel that goes round? And you, if you're watching it with somebody else, say, will we go again? Will we go again? You don't even have to answer each other. You don't even have to make a decision. That makes the decision for you. So it's out of your hands. It wasn't your responsibility in the first place. If you, if you, you were trying really hard not to watch it, but the wheel just went round, and all of a sudden it's into the second thing. You think, we're in now. <laughs> it's like three in the morning, and we live in tired lives, but we're staying up because we're so exhausted. And we just need to stay up because what's the point in going to bed? Because we're tired and the morning will come again so quick we'll be tired again. So we might just as well stay up and binge on Netflix. That's called escapism. Disconnected from our identity. I don't really know what you're talking about, Jason. Yeah, you do. You just forget who you are. Son, child of God, father, parent, friend. You lose your identity. You don't know who you are anymore. Any of this making, any of this connecting with anybody out there at all? No, okay. I'll just preach into the preacher. Not being able to attend human needs, hoarding energy. I don't really know what that means, to be honest, so I'm not going to elaborate on that. Slippage in our spiritual practice, which often goes first. 
Our lives, guys, are so overcrowded that the invitation seems more, it just seems like more work, doesn't it? And again, let's be honest. When we start talking about communities and, and disciplines and all that, how many of you feel like, oh, no. Oh, Lord, no. Here we go again. More stuff to do in the vineyard. You know, we're just, I don't have time to eat once a week with people noting the scriptures. You know what I mean? I just don't have time for that. I'm exhausted. I've watched three episodes of Suits back to back, haven't we? But, you know, we, we, we'd, the pressure is just like family life and work life and even that fun life, you know, that, have you eaten here yet? Have you tried the new burrito place? I didn't even know there was a burrito place. I found out there's a burrito place. I've got to try the burrito place, right? And you're thinking, how does a guy look in this so good, eat burritos and get away with it? It's just called exercise and discipline. Can you imagine that like, we have to start reading our Bibles and praying and being with people and being nice to people? It's just like more and more stuff to do. And, and reading the scriptures, reading the script like every day. Like you've got to read it every day. And like talk to this guy every day. Are you serious? And then you want me to sit around with people that I don't know once a week and eat a meal with them? See, we would rather do other things, go to other sources and resources, rather than to the graceful, tender invitation of Jesus Christ to come walk and slow down. We're all brilliant artists of escapism. We've all got other things to do. We, we, we've lost our identity. We've lost, as I, said, I love this theological, I don't know if it's Hebrew or Greek, but we have lost our own ourselves. Does that make sense to you? We just lost the run of ourselves. Rather than his tender invitation to walk with him and to experience his goodness and his life and his rest and his peace, can you imagine selling this? I mean, you, if you were on a street corner and you said to somebody in our world today, hey, we're just selling peace and rest. Would you like to alleviate anxiousness and worry and overload it? Sign me up. Sign me up. But how many of us know this to be true, but yet we'll go to all our resources and another resourcer to find this life. And he wants to carry us. He wants to carry our burdens. Guys, he's not giving you lists. He's not giving you lists at all. He's firstly given you himself, and then he has given you an invite to come. If you think that when we want you to read scripture, that's another list of stuff to do, to pray, we want you to connect, and like Jesus of Nazareth taught us to gather around a table, that the first century community with our architecture was just table and food, that was it. That was it. He doesn't want to give you less. He just wants to give you himself. And he wants you to find the rest that he so offers. Now, to make that happen, we've got to change some things. We've got to find, because maybe you're walking with a bit of a limp. Maybe the hips are a bit little uh, disconnected with pulling the way a little, going to other resources and trying other things. Maybe you've jumped ahead of wanting to be with him and trying to do the stuff that he actually asks us to do. And you're not finding that very sustainable. You're not actually finding that very healthy. And you're more irritable than you think you would be doing the stuff of Jesus. And I, you, I meet Christians all the time. They're doing all the stuff, and yet they're the most horrible people to be around. Well, not in this church. All the churches, I could name them. <laughs> I'm joking. You know, just doing the stuff is not what it's about. It's about being with him, becoming like him, and then out of that, ushering in the kingdom of heaven with a heart of love and a heart of kindness and a heart of mercy and justice. It's a whole other way of doing the stuff. 
So we need to practice being with Jesus. We do. Yeah, we do. Our walk, our rhythm has been so disconnected for many of us. We've been so out of sync, we forget how it is to walk with him. We need to learn the rhythms of grace, the unforced rhythms of grace, so that we can be with him and become like him. And again, like I said, those who attract me, those who I see flourishing most in their lives with God, and I'm talking about spirituality and maturity, those people that I watch that are, 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 are with Jesus, those who are flourishing, they have spirit-initiated rules of life. They have what, Jason? They have spirit-initiated rules of life. They have disciplines in their life. They have practices. They have habits that form their heart because out of your heart, life comes. Proverbs teaches us. And I know the rule. How many of you just love that word rule? Rules, rules, yeah. It's such a negative connotation, right? Some of you are think, thinking like of the stern teacher. Do you know the stern teacher? You know, <laughs> sitting way down the back. I'm not going to, no, 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 it's not you, Tom. This guy's like sitting one, two, three behind you. <laughs> no, it's just a lie. Just that he's a kind man and a warm man. Or you think of the policeman who stopped you, and all you're trying to do is beat the satin off to get home. <laughs> That's all you're doing. And this guy comes out with the rule that you can't do that. It's disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> but the word, we've talked about this before here in Vineyard Church, and we talked about this years and years ago when we were in the school. We talked about what it means. A Greek word rule actually means a trellis. You know what a trellis is? Right? It's the thing you stick up somewhere. So if you're growing something, it clings to it. And then what happens to it? It has what? Strength. His room to grow. It is a a stable foundation. That's what Jesus talks about. He's using this imagery of horticulture when he says, you know, remain in the vine. And then to remain in the vine, you need some stability. You need, some, you need a rule in your life. You need a trellis in your life. And a trellis means that you're unable to grow, that you're able to. It's not harshness. It's actually freedom to have space to grow and to flourish and to thrive in your life. Isn't that a good thing? So that's what I want you to think about. So the solution isn't more time, by the way, guys. The solution for our... The enemy of spirituality isn't that we just have more time. If you have more time, you fill it with more stuff, right? Seriously. It's not that. The solution is slowly, slowly simplifying our life and slowing down. So here, here are some four practices I'm going to fly through. You might want to write these down. If I was you, I'd write these down. Four practices to slow your life down. And then I'm going to ask you what, how you can help us. I'm going to shout out a few other things that maybe you're doing that I'm not doing. First thing is Sabbath. Sorry to keep banging on about it, but stop. Learn to stop. Embrace your limits. Unplug. It's hard. I know. Like, it's a fight. Even it's a fight. I've been doing this for years and years and years now. And it's, sometimes it's a fight. I mean, Sunday's coming fast. I didn't get enough done during the week. Comes Thursday, Friday night. I'm thinking, should I cheat a little bit? Should I, should I cheat myself, cheat my family, and cheat God? Should I just, you know, knock on the computer, just let on to Michelle? I'm just checking something out on scooters, but I'm really checking my emails and getting into something and starting. I don't have enough, enough content for you good people out there and all that their stuff. And I, I'm just tempted all the time to cheat. But please, don't cheat. Stop. Trust Jesus. You're not God. He is. He's big, you're small. Embrace your limits. So how do we do that? Sabbath rest. Take a nap. Put the phone away. 
They said a decade of digital dependency. I love that word, a decade of digital dependency. It says this here, 40% of adults look at their phones within five minutes of waking up. How many of you do that? Well, we've started a new practice in our house. No phones in the bedroom. And it's hard. I kid you not. We bought a cheap alarm clock out of Ikea. Brilliant wee thing. You turn it over, gives you a time. You flick it over another way, falls off the side of the... No, you flick it over... <laughs> You flick, it, you, flick it, you flick it over again, it gives you the temperature, right? The temperature of the room. And I'll tell you, man, it's hot <laughs> in our house. And I'm just doing this to encourage you. We have kids' programs that are age-appropriate for your kids, so that's my encouragement. Get them out there. You don't want to hear stuff like this coming off from a preacher with a table. It's going to say a pulpit. All right, so unplug the phone at night. Do you know in Hebrew culture, I've said this dozens and dozens of times again, in Hebrew culture the day starts at night when you go to bed. Do you know why? Because it teaches you your dependency as in Yahweh, the creator, your sustainer and your provider, that the moment your trust begins is the moment you're sleeping and you're putting your head down to rest at night. What about that for faith? That knowing that you rest in him. Not the news in the morning, not the weather forecast, not the Instagram, not how many likes, not how many tweets, not on anything else, not on all the fake news or the real news or anything else, but actually your trust is not in society and culture or anything else or social media, but your trust is actually in God, the good, good Father. How many of you would be up for putting your phone, this sounds mad, doesn't it? Putting your phone somewhere that you can't get it at night. No. Just in case, God forbid, there was a nuclear explosion, and I didn't know about it. <laughs> I can't do it. Okay. I'm not here to prescribe. I'm only here to give you a menu. Delight. Delight, have fun. This is all Sabbath stuff. Unplug, delight. Do something fun. Do something you enjoy. Contemplate, rest in God's presence. Allow God to come through his presence, his word, and fi fix what's broken in your week. Anything broken in your week this week? Walter Brueggemann said this, people who live the Sabbath live seven days differently. Okay, I've talked enough about Sabbath last week, but that's just four things. Stop, contemplate, delight. That's three things. Another thing, fixed hours of prayer. Or as they talk about the daily office. Daily office is just about being intentional, learning to be with God be in his presence, and the goal is not to do more stuff, but it's just to be in his presence, to be aware of Jesus, to stop during your day, to be aware that there is a God. He does come into your work environment. You don't have to leave him at home. You can bring him wherever you go, whether that's leisure or work or family life or whatever it is, whether it's hard stuff or good stuff, you can bring this God with you, and you can learn to stop and include him in your day. So one of the practical ways to do that is, um, is actually even if you do have a phone, then use it to your advantage. Set it during your day, 6 a.m., People say there is a 6 a.m. I don't know. But 6 a.m., morning prayer. When we do this, sometimes I change it to 9 a.m., but that's just me. You do whatever you like. 6 a.m. or 9 a.m., morning prayer. Just stop and thanking Jesus and including him in your day. Say, hey, so glad you're here. You need to remind yourself that he's present, right? It's the awareness thing, the awareness thing of, of God being present. 12, midday. You know, again, it doesn't have to be on your knees fasting and praying. Just, hey. Just turn, tilt your head, walk away, take a walk across the room. If you're in an office environment, if you're, if you're doing something else, you know, just pause, do something physically different with your body and just say, hey, Jesus, thank you. It's midday. I'm struggling. 
evening time, evening prayer or last thing at night when you're in the pillow, when you're hitting your pillow. I used to have a conversation with Jesus and then it gets weird at night when I'm on the pillow because I just start talking rubbish to him. And then I wake up with slavers all over this, the pillow. So I don't do that, talking to Jesus last thing at night. Sometimes Michelle says, pray for me. And I look like, dear Jesus, I pray for you. Third thing, and this is something that I'm learning really uh, fast at doing and uh, something that we're trying to do as a family, simplify your life. Simplify your life. Now, that is so pretentious, isn't it? You know, only a Western cultured pastor could make a point to slow down your life by saying simplify your life. Can you imagine taking this day in there? I've got three points. First one, Sabbath. Huh? Number two, the daily office. And the third thing, simplify your life. They would look at me and say, Jason, that's just living. But because we have so much stuff, we need to learn to simplify our lives. And so what I did practically, I'm not encouraging any of you to do it. Well, it depends what kind of clobber you have and what size you are. I got rid of my probably 60% of my clothes. Let's hear it for the boy. It's like... Jesus, I'm sacrificing for the kingdom here. And these people don't even appreciate it. Like, I give 60% of my clothes. <laughs> and then I see it sometimes at reach, and I want to grab it back because I think, <laughs> I like that. So I just have a few things. I do. Simplify your lifestyle. Guys, I can tell you something. It's so freeing. It's so freeing. You know Stuff is just stuff. And we just get so attached to it. Simplify your life. What else can you do to simplify your life? Just watch that phone thing again. Social media just drives us, drives us, drives us. So crazy. I've got some other things. What about simplifying your life? Like, simplify your life being on time. Actually, what about being really radical and being early? We just live hurried lives, and, and, you, and, and it just rolls into the next thing, to the next thing. You're late for work, you're late for social life, you're late for church, you're late for uh, whatever it is. We just run late all the time, but stop it. It's possible to stop it. Alison Flanagan, are you here? No, good. So I can talk about her. So <laughs> she's one of the most intentional people that we know, so she shares an office with us. But... She, and just a brilliant practice. So she gets up no matter what time she's leaving at. She's getting a flight at four in the morning or she's going into work at nine or wherever she is. She gets up an hour earlier now so that she can slow down her day, have breakfast and still her heart, engage and then go into her day. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Don't you? Like I'm one of these people just five minutes more. Just five minutes more. Just two minutes. I count down ten seconds sometimes. I'm not, even, I'm not even getting to enjoy the last minute because I'm thinking, I'll just, 10, I'll just take another 10 seconds on that. But you're not really resting. You're just like more anxious because you've got to get up. Got to get up, got to get up, got to get up. Yeah, 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 can you, baby? <laughs> I think I've lost the plot. <laughs> Simplify your life. Show up on time. Show up early. Get rid of stuff. Stuff you don't need. Man, that's my biggest thing, isn't it? It's probably my biggest thing. Like you've got probably ten things that you're struggling with, but like probably my one thing. <laughs> it's just my one thing. 
But guys, I'm not telling you to, you know, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I still like good things. I still like to buy good things. You know why? Because I'm learning to, the, okay, the, the, can, I, can I go off on something that's been bothering me? You know when you buy something cheap and you say, you must have robbed somebody? Sometimes you actually are robbing somebody. You're actually buying something cheaper, so it's made cheaper in a, in a country where there's putting people under slavery and all that. Just because people wear good things and buy good things doesn't mean they're bad people. Sometimes we are actually robbing people. Okay, you didn't want to hear that, did you? But that's a free to buy something nice, but not a lot of it. Okay, I'll stop. Simplify your life. Cut down your wardrobe. Cut down your stuff. Show up on time. Get rid of the phone. Stop binging on Netflix, Michelle. <laughs> and then bringing me down with you. You know. <laughs> any other things, just before we finish up, any other things of ways that you've found how you simplify your life and how it helps you to slow down? Talk to me. Don't overcommit to stuff. Yeah. Because we love to say yes. Yeah. We do. And, and sometimes as Christians, we'll say yes to everything else, but the thing that actually enhances our life and our souls and slows ourselves down and gives us peace and restlessness, that gets the bad ball. And then we're, we're just, we're, we're struggling with life all the time. So don't overcommit to stuff. And you know what that means as parents? I'm going to step on toes. I've got three teenagers now, so I feel a little licensed to speak to parents. But what do you see? Something's good. The wheels are going to come off this week. <laughs> I'm going to get a phone call from Queen's. Matthew has been expelled. No. <laughs> Guys, how can I say this? Your kids might not be the world's number one ballet dancer. I'm just saying. Just say no to some things. Like you, we live in this classic child-driven age where your kids go to drama and speech and reading and swimming and... Sorry, am I stepping on toes? Okay, I'll stop because then that's, that's putting stuff on you. But all I'm saying is some, just sometimes as parents we overcommit. And we don't need to. You don't need to. Simplify your life. Oh, any other ideas? Plan ahead. Hmm? Plan ahead, brilliant. That's getting up early. That's, that's coming to church worship and not coming to church to worship. I've got my pastor's hat on, sorry. It's my world. Plan ahead. Get up, do breakfast. Have enough space in your time so you can open scripture in the morning and say, hello, Jesus, not iPhone or whatever Android you use. Do you do that? Maybe you do that. That you just have enough time to be with Jesus before you be with anybody else or anything else. That's a good thing to do, plan ahead. One more thing and then we're nearly done. We are done. Anything, anybody else do anything that slows your life down? Be less controlling. Who do you think you are telling me to do that? <laughs> No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Be less control. It's brilliant, brilliant. Anything else? Be interrupted. Whew. Don't know if we're ready for that yet, but I like it. One more. More travel time, yeah. Sort of links into that. Be prepared. We're the worst at that, aren't we? It's like showing up at airports and you're just through security you know and you're going on vacation you're through security you get in the car parked you're running you're dragging the bags and your mouth drying you're sweating and you're like this is great we're on holiday we love each other this is going to be be beautiful 
Number four. These are just my four. You have others. I'm going to say it one more time. Get into a PCD community. Guys, we live in a culture that will go to other resources and other resourcers, but we fail to intentionally give ourselves to Jesus and to each other. And by the way, we have this great thing too in our culture, and especially in the Christian world, where all the time we say, I can't. And I, can I be nice? Can I be, can, I, can I be your pastor for a moment? I know I'm your pastor when you take what I say. I'm only your pastor when you take what I say. Sometimes I can't just means I won't, because I do that. You know, we all do that. Because we live, you know, how's your week? How's your week? Busy. Would you come along and pray with me? Would you come along to the VCD community? I can't. You can't or you won't. Mostly it's won't. I'm like that. I say to people, I can't. And then I stop and check them. Michelle's brilliant. She checks me and says, Jason, you just said you can't. Yeah, but Michelle, it's like a busy week ahead, but like, check your diary. You've nothing on that night. You just said you can't. What do you want me to say to them? I won't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm their pastor. How many of you say, and do you know what we do? You know what I do? You know when I can't, that I can't night? I'll sit down and watch Emmerdale. Well, go ahead, judge me. But it was good this last couple of weeks, and I just couldn't. Thank goodness our community groups weren't starting this last couple of weeks. <laughs> we, we say we can't, and we just spend our time doing stuff that doesn't need to be done. Or here's, here's another confession. Were you doing kids' work, or are you just arrived, the archers? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for keeping you. Here's what I do. You know when I can't? Sometimes I just look at the screen. Who draws me in? And I see stuff that I don't need. But then I realize I needed it once I saw it. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know I needed it until I saw it, but then when I saw it, I realized I must have it. And then when we say, we, I can't, what do we do? What do you do? We're not all working 24-7, guys. Let's be real honest about it. Okay, it sounds like I've he- ended on a heavy note. Hope not. Let's stand. You know what we're going to do? Kids are going to come in. We're going to stand. And I thought that song was that's brilliant, Sharon. I love that. I'm ready to worship. Let's go. Let's stand. You know, like you do in all their traditional churches. I find that so awkward. You know when they just like, they're absolutely brilliantly trained at it. You know when the music starts? Sam, you can come up here. You know when the music starts and they all of a sudden they're all sitting there dead relaxed. Nobody's like, I'm looking and saying, when do you stand? When do you stand? And all of a sudden, just that first part of the first, like second of the first word of the song, they're like, and it's like, that is brilliant. But we're, that's not us. Let's just, let's just, let's just get up there. Let's sing that song, can we? I want to know you more. And let, let's intentionally engage this week. Let's just see if we can slow our lives down, guys. Let's eliminate hurry let's eliminate hurry we can do it we can do it we can change culture we can start a revolution right we can start a brand new revolution a quiet revolution of eliminating hurry in our lives so why don't we just prayerfully just say to Jesus I want to know you more and and commit to those things and the things that you've already thought about why don't you commit to them for yourself and your family